questions. This is, this is going to be kind of an introduction. This sermon is going to be kind of an introduction to the book of Ruth. So there's uh, a lot to, to look at. There's quite a lot in this passage because, you know, the original audience in ancient Israel, when they would read this passage, there were certain words that just triggered whole stories in their mind that those words don't do those triggers for us when we read it. So there's a number of things that we got to unpack and talk about. Where does Ruth fit in the broader scope of the story of the whole Bible? And it's really quite fascinating. So I'm excited to uh, start looking at this book together. But this is uh, Ruth chapter 1, and we're looking at verses uh, 1 to 7. And uh, this is God's word to you as children. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land... And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were uh, Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, and the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years. Both uh, Malon and Kilion died, so, uh, that the woman, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, from, uh, from, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place uh, where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask for your spirit now as we give our minds to study your word. And we pray that you would uh, give us attention, um, but also give us faith as we hear of your faithfulness, that you teach us to trust in your power and your goodness. And uh, Lord, this trust is a gift that comes from you. So we pray that you would grant us that gift. And um, I pray for all those uh, present here that you would guide each one of us individually into your truth. Uh, and that you would apply it into our individual lives. Uh, We need you to be our teacher now. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, very excited uh, to walk with you. Uh, Very carefully, actually, over the next four months, we're going to be looking at Ruth right up into, uh, sorry, next three months, right up into uh, Christmas. And we're going to look at it pretty slowly. I think generally when I see pastors who've done sermon series on Ruth, it's usually four sermons. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, we're going to go through it a little more uh, slowly. And uh, the reason for that is because uh, Ruth was probably written, we don't really know, but maybe the 7th century uh, B.C. uh, during the reign of of Joash, uh, uh, sorry, Josiah uh, in the Old Testament. This is one of the ancient uh, masterpieces of literature. I mean, this is an ancient text that we're reading, and it's absolutely beautiful. It's very subtle. It has all kinds of surprises. There's suspense. There's delicate imagery in it. And the characters in the story are just incredible. They're very compelling. They're vulnerable. They're daring. And um, it's a book that paints for us probably one of the most compelling pictures of what God intends our life together to be like. 
I mean, outside of the Lord Jesus himself, it's just a beautiful picture of God's people living together in love, vulnerability, in need, in care for one another, in relationship. It's just very powerful. And the book, uh, Ruth, comes at really a pivotal point in uh, the story of the Old Testament. If you're not uh, familiar with the story of the Old Testament, you know, the first ten books or so of the Old Testament basically go through the story of God chooses this chosen people, Israel. And they're the descendants of Abraham. And uh, as many of you know, they became slaves in Egypt. And uh, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And then Moses comes, and through Moses, God delivers Egypt, uh, Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. And then they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And then he's going to bring them into the promised land. And, uh, and so there's this period where they go into the promised land, and this is all happening in the first five books of the, of the Bible. And then in Joshua, which is the sixth book of the Bible, they enter into the promised land. They take over the promised land. And it's kind of this story of their success. They trust God. They're courageous. They say, we're going to, and the end of the book says, we're going to, as for me and my house, we're going to worship the Lord. And there's this sense of God people, God's people really trusting the Lord. The very next book in the Old Testament is the book of Judges. As the people get settled in the land, it turns out, though, that they turn away from the Lord. And they, be, they just kind of adopt the cultural practices of the people around them. And Judges, if you've ever read through Judges, it's one of the darkest, most brutal books of the Old Testament. I mean, some of you read it and you're like, why is this in the Bible? These are strange people, strange stories. And a lot of it is because uh, they've just adopted the cultural practices of the Canaanites into the land they went into. And so it's this period of rebellion. And the last of the judges shows up in 1 Samuel, which is the story about how David becomes king and leads Israel into the kind of the golden age of Israel where uh, he establishes this kingdom and he's a man after God's own heart. And so there's this big question of how do you get from this dark period of the judges that's violent and brutal into this golden age where David is king? And the bridge book is the book of Ruth. It's this little book that's put right in the middle of the time of the judges. And it's this story of this widow named Naomi. And she has a daughter-in-law who's not just a widow, but also a foreigner. And these two women are totally poor. And they come back into Israel. And they meet this sweet (laughs) uh, old bachelor named Boaz who brings him in and takes care of him. And then he falls in love with Ruth. And the reason he falls in love with her actually is because even though she's a foreigner, he sees that she loves the Lord. He sees her faith and he's drawn to that. It's so compelling. And so uh, he falls in love with her and, and he rescues these two widows who are, who are probably the most vulnerable people in that society. Two widows, one of them's not, not, not just a widow, but a foreigner. They're the most vulnerable people. And he brings them in and he cares for them. And it's just a, a delightful uh, story. And it's just a simple, unassuming story about a poor family in crisis and a kind man. And in this story, the promises of God are carried forward through the dark period of Judges in, into the time of David being king. And... Uh, And so since it's really a story about God's promises being carried forward, through God's people's unfaithfulness, you know, and through this dark period, it's really a story about God's faithfulness. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at uh, three aspects of God's faithfulness in these opening verses that are really make up some of the main themes of the book as a whole. And uh, in particular, we're going to look at three things. These are the three points is that God's faithfulness happens in the midst of a faithless people. 
God's faithfulness happens in the midst of a faithless people. So his, his faithfulness kind of outruns the people's faithlessness. God's, second, God's faithfulness happens when he is seemingly absent. Even when God seems absent, he's invisible. You can't see him. He's still being faithful. And third, that God's faithfulness happens through the movement of the gospel. That's the most important storyline of the Bible, is where is the gospel going? Where is the promises of God happening? That's the important storyline of the whole Bible. And let me just say, I, you know, I was thinking about this this morning, these three points. I kind of feel like they're three separate sermons. I mean, not in length, but more just in topic. They're a little disjointed. But they really summarize... The main, the main ideas of the book uh, of Ruth. So if they feel a little disjointed, you've got to follow along with me, all right? So, um, so first, first point we're looking at this morning is that God's faithfulness happens in the midst of a faithless people. That's, there's great hope in that. And uh, you can see this is true in the opening verses. Look at verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now, a couple things that that little opening phrase tells us, right? The first thing is that this tells us that the events of this book are happening in this dark period of the age of the judges, which, as I said, is the time that's uh, between the story of Joshua when they come into the promised land and uh, the story of Samuel when Samuel's the last judge and he anoints David to be king. And it's this period pretty much from the 14th century to the 11th century uh, BC, and it's this time where there were all these uh, chieftains who were kind of ruling and governing all the different tribes in Israel. And, uh, but more than that, it was a time when, this is what it says in the book of Judges, that everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes. And you could go back and read the book of Judges, and you'll see that's what they're doing. The, the things that they're doing is not the kind of life that you imagine that God intends for his people. And there's, you know, some of the most uh, shameful things that the people of God's people have ever done happen in the book of Judges. And, um, but more than that, uh, not only that, the, the, the author mentions that it's not just that this, this story takes place in, in the time of the Judges, but also that there was a famine in the land. And, you know, the original audience, when they first heard this story and they hear, oh, time of Judges, we know about that, and then they hear about there was a famine in the land, you know what would be triggering in their mind is Deuteronomy 28. Because Deuteronomy uh, was the last sermon that Moses gave. So, you know, Israel comes out of Egypt and they're wandering in the desert for 40 years and then they're about to come into the promised land. They're on the, the shores of the Jordan, about to go into the promised land. And Moses gives them this final sermon called Deuteronomy. And in the end of Deuteronomy, he says, all right, you're going to go into the land and you're either going to love me and life is going to be good or you're going to turn from me and life is going to be miserable. And you're going to have a cursed experience if, uh, if you rebel against me. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy. But if you will not obey, this is what the Lord says, what Moses says uh, to God's people about the Lord. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Deuteronomy says, God says, when you go into the land, if you turn away from me and you become like all the other nations in the land, then this is what it's going to be like. It's going to be famine. And so what the beginning of Ruth is saying is that's exactly what happened at the time of the judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so what was the result? Deuteronomy 28, famine. 
and they're facing that famine now. And uh, they've been in rebellion against God for maybe centuries. Which, by the way, you know, if, if you're here, and, you know, that's kind of an uncomfortable thing for you, that you know, people rebel against God and, the, and the, that they would be cursed. You know, God's wrath, when it comes in the Old Testament, always takes centuries for it to come about. I mean, it's just on and on, you know, like multiple centuries until, I mean, in the, over and over, God is slow to anger. Okay, and uh, and so it's taken. It's probably taken centuries, and now it's come to that point where they're experiencing famine. And so this book, the book of, of Ruth, happens in a context where a people and a whole culture are faithless. They don't trust in God. They do what's right in their own eyes, and they're brutal, and they're harsh on each other. And uh, that's a painful context uh, to be in. And as many of you know, it's hard to trust God when you are around people who do not trust him. It's hard to trust in God when you're around people who don't trust him, who don't obey him, who don't listen to him. That's a hard thing. And it turns out, actually, with this family, it was true that it wasn't just the culture that was disobedient, but it turns out that the men, especially in this family, were uh, disobedient and faithless to the Lord. Because it says Elimelech, who is the father of this family, uh, you'll see in verse 1, it says, in the, uh, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, this is Elimelech, who's, who's Naomi's husband, and you see what he's doing is, okay, all our people are being faithless to the Lord, we're rebelling against him, and now famine has come upon the land, and so what does he do? He says, well, I guess I'll leave the promised land, and I'll go live in... <laughs> You know, and join another religion, basically, is what he's doing. And I'm going to go live among the Moabites. And what is he not doing? He's not repenting. He's not turning to the Lord. And you see an indication of that, that uh, Elimelech ends up dying. He takes his family to another people, takes them away from God's people. And, uh, and you know, throughout the Old Testament, the Moabites uh, have generally a bad reputation uh, among God's people. Uh, you know, I mentioned that Israel, when they left Egypt, they were wandering through uh, the, the wilderness for 40 years, and then they were going to come into the Promised Land. And in order to get into the Promised Land, they needed to go through Moab, and the Moabites wouldn't let them through. And so they have all this history where God says, you know, they don't support the people of God. They are opposed to the people of God. And even in the book of Judges, there was a king in Moab who oppressed God's people, Eglon. And, uh, and so they have this history. And, and here's Elimelech says, let me bring my family and we're going to go live among the Moabites. And then his two sons marry two Moabite women. And let me just say here again, you know, I need to qualify a few things. It's important to understand that when the Bible has, says something like that, that uh, these men should not be marrying Moabite women. You should not be living among the Moabites. This is not a racist issue. This is not that, it is not that God has an ethnic problem with the Moabites. It's a religious, spiritual issue. They worship other gods. And we know that that's true because do you know who's going to be the heroine in this story? You know who this book is named after? <laughs> Ruth who is a Moabite woman, she's the heroine, she's the hero. And so, of course, God doesn't have an... He's not a racist. The Bible's not racist. It doesn't have ethnic issues. It's a question of faithfulness to the Lord and that this was an act of faithlessness. And so all the men in this family die because of their faithlessness. 
And this is the context, not just the culture that these women are living in, it's actually the very family, the very people closest to them are faithless to the Lord. And that's extremely painful and difficult. And yet what they're going to find out in this story is that God's faithfulness happens in the midst of faithless people. And, you know, one reason why that's important for us to realize is that I think for many of us, we think that the Christian life is going to look like being surrounded by loving people who love God and being surrounded by God's blessing. Here are God's people who God is going to do a tremendous work in their life and he's placed them among faithless people. And they themselves are going to struggle with being faithless. And they're in a faithless culture. And yet God is with them and his purposes are going forward. And uh, right here in the context of a people who ignore the Lord, his purposes are unfolding. And uh, what is remarkable about this story is that in this, in this context of suffering and faithfulness, and faithlessness, in that context, we're going to re- see a beautiful story of, um, of love and community and trust and intimacy and generosity. Those things can happen in the midst, in such a hostile context. It can happen because of God's presence and faithfulness, his guiding hand, okay? So the first theme about, uh, that we see in this passage is that God's faithfulness happens in the midst, even of faithless people, people that ignore him. God's purposes go forward. But as the book goes on, uh, we find out that actually the main co- characters in the story have a, just a, an incredible sweetness to them. You're going to love Naomi and Ruth and Boaz as we get to know them uh, over the next few months. And they learn to trust in God and they are generous. They don't complain and they take great risks for the sake of others. But for most of the book, they don't know what God is doing. They are blind and clueless to God's purposes. What is he doing with us? And so the second truth that we see about God's faithfulness is not just that his faithfulness happens in the midst of faithless people, but second, that God's faithfulness happens even when he is seemingly absent. God's faithfulness happens even when he is seemingly absent. And only twice in the book of Ruth uh, does it say that God acts, that God does something. In, uh, once at the very beginning of the story and once at the very end. And actually you see this in this verse, verse 6 of the passage I, I just read. At the very beginning of the story it says that God does something. Uh, then she arose with her daughters-in-law, to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So there's a famine in the land, and so the first thing that the Lord does is he blesses the land, and the land becomes abundant again. Okay, That's the thing that the Lord does at the beginning. And then in chapter 4, at the end of the book, it says that the Lord acts again. And this is what it says in chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And so God's gracious acts bookends the book of Ruth. At the beginning, the Lord is acting. And at the end, the Lord is acting. And you know, I should make one comment about it. The two things that the Lord does are what? He blesses the land, and he preserves the seed of the woman which actually, fitting this into the broader story of the Bible, that if you, if you know uh, the story of the Bible, the Bible begins by saying that the whole problem with humanity, what's wrong with humanity, is that we were made to live in God's presence in a what? In a land, in a garden, 
or this fruit and things that's fruitful and growing. And so when humanity fell and sinned against God, we were expelled from the land. We weren't in the land anymore. So one of the problems that, human, that the Bible's dealing with is the question of the land. And then as soon as Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, what was the first thing that God, uh, was the first thing that God said to the serpent? The seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. There is going to be a man who is going to come through the line of Adam, through the line of Eve, who is going uh, to bring restoration to all things, and he's going to destroy the evil in the world. And so the whole book, of the, the whole Old Testament is thinking about these two themes of the land. How are we going to be restored to the lamb, land? And how is the seed going to be preserved? These are the two big promises of God that bookend the book of Ruth. So it fits into the whole story of the Bible. And so Ruth is integral to the storyline of God's purposes in the Bible. But what's interesting is that in between these two bookends, God's purposes in history, the Lord is never said to act again. It never says in between that that God is doing anything. And there are all kinds of events that are going to happen that are, you know, seem you know, to be uh, coincidental that we're going to know it is the invisible hand of the Lord that is directing things in this story. But the Lord, it never says that the Lord is doing that. And in the midst of the story, in the, within the bounds of God's promises, God seems to be absent. He is invisible, and they, you can't see him. And they don't know how things are going to work out. And actually, even in the end of chapter 1, Naomi, she was in Moab, and she comes back, right? She says she's going to return to her homeland. And this is what it says in the end of chapter 1. When she gets back to her homeland, she sees her old friends and, and the old family that she hasn't seen in years. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So what she's saying is, the Lord has been dealt with me bitterly. He's been harsh to me. That's actually not true. The Lord is in the midst of being tremendously kind to her. And he is orchestrating events, but she can't see it. He seems to be absent. He seems to be being harsh to her. And yet he's actually being very kind to her. And she just can't see it. This is very much our experience in the world as being Christians. We have certain truths about God's promises and his faithfulness that kind of bound our experience, right? We know God works good, all things for good for those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. We know that he works all things for good. We know that Jesus is going to come back. He's going to make all things right in the end. But in the midst of those bounds, of those promises, God often seems absent and invisible. And uh, we don't know what he's doing. And in the day-to-day, we're not privy to God, what God's pur- purposes are. And he seems absent. I know that for many of you, you feel that, you feel that right now. You feel that this week. That there's a sense of, I, I don't get what God is doing. God seems harsh. He's dealing with me bitterly. Um, and uh, he's forsaken me. And so one of the questions of the book of Ruth is, how do these these characters who are going to now live in a context where God seems invisible and they don't know what his purposes are, how do they walk through it? And it's a fascinating answer because um, as you read the rest of the book of Ruth, it does talk about the Lord. But you know where the Lord's name appears in the book of Ruth? I counted 17 times. 17 times, it's just four chapters. 
the name of the Lord always appears on the lips of his people. They are talking about the Lord. Uh, uh, Ruth and Naomi are talking about the Lord. Uh, they're going to meet this guy, Boaz, and he's got all these workers, and they're talking about the Lord. And um, even just people in the town are talking about the Lord. And they talk about the Lord and his kindness, and his name is on their lips. Let me just tell you, the question of how do we walk through a life where God seems invisible, to seems absent, we know that there are these big promises that bookend our lives. But how, when he seems absent in the day-to-day, how do we walk through that? It is being among people who speak about the Lord and his kindness, speak about his promises. We need to hear about it from each other. And we need to do that, of course, in a way that, that is genuine, that is kind, that, uh, where we share in the sorrows with each other and you know, not in a way that's kind of trite. But it is absolutely from hearing from one another that we're reminded that there is a God in heaven and he is in control and he is good. And so um, the second thing we learn about God's faithfulness in this book is that God's faithfulness happens in the midst, uh, even when uh, he's seemingly absent, okay? So God's faithfulness happens two surprising things. Among faithlessness and among his invisible hand, God is being faithful and in putting his purposes forward. But the third thing that we see in this passage is that God's faithfulness happens primarily through the movement of the gospel. God's faithfulness happens through the preservation and movement of the gospel. And, you know, I want to explain this. The Bible is meant to tell us the history of the world. It's supposed to tell us what the story of the world is. Which is kind of a strange thing because most of us, if, you know, if I said to you, the Bible tells us the story of the world, you might think, one book? I mean, tells us the whole story of the world? I mean, think of all the different people groups that have happened everywhere, all the millennia that have happened, all the events that have happened. They're not all in that book. How can you say that this one book tells us the story of the world? And, uh, of course, uh, the answer to that, you know, actually I was listening to a, a story recently about a, um, a psychologist, I think he was in the 60s, who had this idea where he was going to um, uh, take a, a little child, I think it was for a year, he surrounded him with researchers who were going to study everything that this child did. And it was going to be this, he, he thought this is going to be the pinnacle of, uh, you know, child development research. And so for a year, he studied and cataloged everything that this child did, and then he made it into a book. And he thought, when this book comes out, um, it tells everything that this child did for a year. Researchers are going to use it. It's going to be a bestseller. And the book came out, and it totally flopped. And no one wanted to read it. No one cared. And they thought, this is completely uninteresting. And the reason was because all he did was say a bunch of data of things that had happened, but he never came up with any themes that went through the year. He never said anything about the child. And it was just a bunch of data. And in order to say something interesting about the world, you have to tell a story. You have to find a thread that ties everything together. And therefore, you have to be selective in the things that you're going to say. And you're going to be selective only in the things that tell the important story. And that's what he did. He didn't select out the things from this child's year. He just, uh, he just told the events that happened. What the Bible is doing is it is selecting out the important events of God's work in history to tell us the story of the world. And it is the story of God making a world. 
humanity turning against God and how God was going to restore humanity to himself, how he was going to bring those who were far off, he was going to draw them near. And this story that God is telling is very powerfully alluded to in these verses. Look at what, look at what it says. Listen for this word, return. Return is one of the most important books in the Bible. Verse 6, Then she, Naomi, arose with her daughter-in-law to return from the country of Moab. And then in the end of verse 7, they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. So here's this woman who has left the promised land with her faithless husband and now is coming back to her homeland. She's returning. I'll just tell you, that idea of returning home has a powerful place in the human psyche. I mean, there's many stories that, the most famous stories that have ever been written are really about stories where people, you know, go on an adventure and what do they do? They come home. You know, the Odyssey or the Lord of the Rings, right? Frodo and Sam go on this adventure and then they return home to the Shire. And that's what the whole story is about. We have a deep longing, we have an understanding that we feel like strangers in this world. We feel like aliens, And we're longing for a homeland. And that's what the Bible is saying, is that our homeland is in the very presence of God. And so the story of the Bible is always the story of God puts his people in a land. They rebel against him. So they're cast out of the land into exile. And then he returns them, restored into relationship with him. You see those four stages. So that's what happens in the Bible as a whole. We were in the garden with God. We rebelled against him. Then we were cast out of the garden, and then in the end of the story, what are we going to do? We're going to return into God's presence. This is exactly what happened to Israel in the the Old Testament. Israel was put in the promised land. They disobeyed against God in in Judges. And uh, and then here's this... this, Oh, I I left out one thing. Sorry. I know there's a lot of information. Stay with me right here. In, In Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy tells the story in the end of Deuteronomy of the story of God's people. It predicts it beforehand where they're about to go into the promised land, and God says, you're going to go into the promised land, and you're going to disobey me. I already know it. And then all these foreign invaders are going to come, and you're going to get cast out of the land, and you're going to have famine. But then, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, he says, I'm going to bring you back to me, and I'm going to circumcise your heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. And I'm going to restore your relationship to me, and you're actually going to love me. It's not just going to be an external thing. You're going to love me from your heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. And so what we're already seeing in the book of Ruth is that during the judges, the people weren't faithful, and so they had famine, and so they got kicked out of the land, and now Ruth is coming back, and we're going to see this story of these people who really do trust and love the Lord, and they follow him, and they obey his commands. And this is, again, what happens uh, in the Old Testament, is Israel, again, becomes this nation. They become this kingdom. They rebel against the Lord, and then the Babylonians invade them, and they take them into exile. And then in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, they come back into the land. And you know what they do in Ezra and Nehemiah? They open up the Bible, and they sit under the Bible, and they say, Lord, we want to obey your commands. And there's this revival, and their hearts are restored, and they really begin to love the Lord. And then the people continue to turn against the Lord, and ultimately... The Savior comes, Jesus, and he takes their exile. He enters into their exile. When he dies on the cross, it is the foreign invaders, it is the famine falling upon him in their place. And then he raises from the dead and leads them out of exile, leads us out of exile, and he sends his spirit to what? To give us new hearts so that we would really love him. 
And that ultimately he's going to come again and restore the whole earth to be the land where we will live and we will really love the Lord. And so this story of return from exile, which is being hit upon here in Ruth, is the story of the whole Bible. And you can see that that's happening in the book of Ruth because as I read that passage, I know for some of you, there was one word that may have, triggered, may have done a trigger for you. And it was that word Bethlehem. Right? Twice uh, it talks about Bethlehem, uh, that, uh, that Elimelech was uh, a man of Bethlehem and Judah. And of course, all of us know that that will become the great city, the city of David, the city where our Lord was born. And that that's really what the, 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 uh, Ruth is about, is the preservation of this line, the movement of the gospel, the hope of the world, God's preservation of it throughout the ages. And, uh, and the way he does that is through these humble, vulnerable widows and a simple old bachelor. And so uh, this is a story we're going to be looking at together. It's a story that, that we're, of course, uh, brought into, and, um, and uh, it's filled with the faithfulness of God. Let's pray together.